welcome to the book club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today's guest is Amanda Hahn of Keystone CPA, who is a tax strategist who specializes in creating cutting edge tax saving strategies for real estate investors. As real estate investor herself, Amanda has an in-depth understanding of the various aspects of investing, including taxation, self-directed investing, entity structuring, and money raising. So welcome to the book club, Amanda. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, you know, first off, I, you know, amazing book on tax strategies. You know, I, I love the title, you know, for the savvy real estate investor. I have to be honest, the, um, <laughs> the title actually um, was created with the help of the folks from Bigger Pockets. So, um, awesome. yeah, they really, uh, they, they were kind of the brains behind that title for me. But I do like it, uh, you know, and real estate investors uh, are generally some of the most, you know, savvy and creative people I know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that was pretty appropriate. Definitely. No, spot on. And I love the introduction message from you. I think, you know, I found it really refreshing that, you know, you told us what the book was going to be about in the beginning and you, you really, you know, put forth, you know, what you were going to learn. And, you know, I read a lot of books and, and that one that just uh, stuck with me. So I just want to say thank you for that. Great, yeah. great. You know, I think the, the inspiration was, um, uh, you know, as a CPA, I read a lot of books as well. And I try to read up on a lot of books about taxes and, you know, what strategies other CPAs are using. Yeah. And one day I was reading, uh, I was reading a book and I realized that I was falling asleep uh, <laughs> reading this tax book for real estate. And I was, you know, I thought to myself, you know, I, as a CPA and an investor, if I'm falling asleep, mm -hmm. I can imagine a non-accountant reading it and, you know, and, and really enjoying it. So I thought, you know, I want to write something that's a, a little bit more fun, a little mm -hmm. bit more uh, plain language, I guess, where, you know, yeah. people could, could read it in a story format. So we're not all falling asleep reading all the, you know, the code sections and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I think it, it came across well as a reader of someone who's who's not by any means, you know, code savvy. So I think it was, <laughs> uh, you know, I think we can take a complex complex idea and really explain it simply with a lot of examples which you did in the book you know i love that that was those examples really you know you you get the concrete information and you broke it down and i'm like okay as a as a former teacher i was like this this is an awesome teacher so <laughs> it was great yeah yeah so in the book you said you worked for one of the largest and most prestigious accounting firms in the world and you know i'm really wondering what was the turning point when you said you you know learned to use the tax code to build your own wealth was it like an aha moment yeah you know it, it's interesting because um I, I kind of grew up around real estate mm -hmm. right with my you know my parents and my grandparents and um and even though I grew up in that environment, my parents never really taught me about real estate. You know, they, they weren't like, oh, yeah, you got to do real estate. You know, it's more the traditional like, hey, get a good degree, get a good job. And, you know, that's kind of going to be the way to go. Um, but interestingly enough, I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, <laughs> which I'm sure you've <laughs> yeah. read before. Um, it, it's so interesting. So for, for myself, that was kind of the aha moment. Mm -hmm. um, it just in thinking about things differently. Um, and it, it's really weird. I almost feel like for me personally, I had the rich dad and the poor dad in one person. Mm -hmm. It's just that my rich dad was not teaching me in the rich dad format and I had to go out and buy a book and learn about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was definitely the aha moment. And, you know, after I read that book, I started to look at my work from a different set of eyes, you know, instead of just doing someone's tax return and, you know, kind of checking off the checklist. Um, I started to look at what, you know, what were what was actually happening for my real estate clients. Mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky enough to actually be working in the real estate section. Uh, or real estate department of that firm. So it was, you know, kind of an easy transition for me. But for me, it's just really a different way of looking at a client's tax return and seeing, oh, wow, they're making so much money, but they're paying a lot less taxes than, you know, this other client here who who is working and not doing real estate. So that was sort of how I bridged the gap and, you know, just try to mimic, um, you know, how can I 
use the same concepts and methods to help myself in you know in building wealth essentially of course and you know i love this, this strategy that the title you had so so what you don't know can hurt you um and you talked about mm -hmm. being stuck in that rat race you know together with your husband matt and uh you know i love the the actual number so you know you said together that you're making over 200k a year and you're paying you know mm -hmm. another 50 in federal income taxes another 16,000 in state income another 14k for payroll and another 3k for property taxes so all said and done <laughs> roughly ninety thousand dollars a year in taxes so one half of the marriage is working just to pay taxes um what did that do for you mentally <laughs> yeah i mean it's just sad right yeah. i think uh, have you heard of tax freedom day yes have you heard of book. that term yeah before? but before that no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. so yeah so tax freedom day is interesting i think you work some you know some sometimes you work through april sometimes you work through may and you realize okay well everything i've earned so far is going towards taxes um <laughs> But yeah, I think for us it was, and it's obviously it's not the same way for every single person. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people who make other types of income or who are single and a lower income where they're not paying close to half of their money to taxes. But yeah, definitely for us, you know, living in a high taxing state, being a married couple, both earning fairly decent W-2 for the time being, um, you know, is, is fairly shocking. And I think that's the thing is a lot of people don't really um, look at taxes that way. You know, it's kind of like we get a paycheck and we maybe we glance at what was taken out for federal and state purposes but maybe we don't you know it's kind of just like okay direct deposit there it is and and you just kind of live off of um, you get used to whatever the net paycheck is but I think a lot of people are always shocked um, to figure out you know to actually see how much the taxes they're they're actually paying I talk to clients all the time when I tell them hey you know what you're you're in the 25% tax rate but your actual tax is probably closer to 35 40 because we have to add in you know payroll and state and all of these things and uh, it is it is somewhat of a, a shocking or depressing yeah. <laughs> to kind of you know face yeah. um, but I think you know knowledge is power if you don't know it we kind of just complacently uh, you know work pay taxes spend the rest of the money and you know if we're lucky enough to understand investing then you know start putting money away for investment purposes but mm -hmm. you know kind of knowing the the details behind the numbers forces us to take more of an action to say am I okay with this if not what can I do to make things better for myself of course. And so, you know, what type of client do you focus on? Um, and I know you said this in the book along, you know, CPAs have, you know, work with a multitude, but it sounds like your business structure is, is more, you know, narrow focused. Um, yeah. And I think we've been fortunate enough at Keystone CPA where um, both Matt, my husband, and myself come from real estate background when we used to work in the you know big accounting firms. And to be able to continue to focus on that, combine that with our personal investment, our personal quest for expanding our portfolio, and really be able to kind of focus our clientele around those people who, you know, either currently invest in real estate or have goals to have real estate as part of their portfolio. Um, it definitely helps, you know, I mean, as an advisor, it definitely helps when we specialize in mm -hmm. a particular niche rather than to say, well, I, you know, I, I can take on clients for manufacturing and restaurants and real estate because tax, I mean, taxes are so complex that, um, gosh, I, <laughs> actually I was taking a training yesterday, uh, before our call, um, I was to get training yesterday just on the tax reform that came out uh, in you know, January 2018, and that was a, a two-day, uh, eight hours per day training uh, in talking about all the various tax changes. And so for us, we're lucky that we can really you know dive in and focus the time specifically on you know, real estate, depreciation, 1031 exchange, and all those things that are, are you know focused on, on real estate and not have to worry about all the changes to like foreign taxes or you know manufacturing and all of those things. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I think that's that that goes, you know, if you can create a little niche as a business and and really become an expert, you know, I think you're going to attract the the best clients as well, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, you know, this book is uh, broken into to five parts in in part 1 you wrote about deductions. So, what are some of the most common deductions investors might be missing on their tax returns? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um what I see um, 
for the most part, real estate investors are really great about capturing common expenses relating to their specific properties. And what I mean by that would be, you know, when we own real estate, we all know we have to deduct property taxes. We have insurance expense. We have mortgage interest and, you know, management fees. So I would say the, the vast majority of clients are pretty good at capturing those. Although from time to time, I do still review a tax return and I'll ask them like, hey, how did you not have insurance? Or, hey, did you not pay property tax for some <laughs> reason? Um, so they do get missed from time to time. But for the most part, everyone is pretty good about that. Um, but I think outside of that, what, what people generally are missing are what what I call overhead expenses. So that so that means those are expenses that are that you are incurring because you're a real estate investor, but they're not necessarily specific to a rental property. So an example might be, you know, you're working with an attorney to form an LLC to hold your rentals. Um, so that might not be specific to Main Street property, but it's still you're forming it because you own real estate mm-hmm. um, or, you know, marketing fees uh, for anyone who's, you know, if you bought a tax book <laughs> for the savvy real estate investor. Right. Yeah. So tax books, education classes or if you're going to a local real estate club meeting and, you know, you have dinner afterwards or the drive to the real estate meeting. Those are kind of the things that I see missed uh, more often because people just aren't sure can I deduct it or maybe they feel like the amounts aren't that big so you kind of you know tend to not track it mm-hmm. um, but I think it's very important you know again going back to the tax rates you know if you're someone who's paying between 30 to 50 percent in taxes if you accumulate a hundred dollars worth of business expenses for these overhead items it's gonna save you from 30 to 50 dollars right so it's fairly mm-hmm. significant no, that's, that's a good point. Um, and is there any way to, you know, make accounting for taxes like a daily part of our life? Yeah, I, I think um, the one thing I encourage people to do is to all to, to look at yourself as a business owner. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I don't really mean, you know, having an LLC or having a corporation. Um, if you're someone who owns real estate, whether it's for rentals, fix and flip, wholesale, um, if you're someone who is earning income in real estate, then you're technically a business owner in the eyes of the IRS. Mm-hmm. And so as a business owner, one of the things that we should be doing you know, is to train ourselves as part of everyday life to ask ourselves the question, when we spend money on something, the question you ask yourself is, is this expense a reasonable deduction for my real estate business. So if you're going to Costco and you're buying a case of paper, for example, right? Mm-hmm. The question is, okay, well, is it reasonable that a real estate investor would need paper to print stuff from? If the answer is yes, then you want to track that expense, you know, keep a copy of the receipt or at least take a picture of it um, so that you can potentially take the tax deduction. And then when you meet with your CPA, you can give them a list of all of these expenses that you have. Now, worst case scenario, they're going to look at it and say, oh, no, that's not really a legitimate business expense because of X, Y, Z reason, mm-hmm. right? But at least you you have that conversation conversation. On the other hand, if you bought paper and you didn't even track it, your CPA is not going to automatically say, oh, hey, Scott, <laughs> did you buy some paper? The other day? <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> and, and so the opportunity gets lost. I would say, you know, part of daily life is just, you know, train yourself to think like a business owner mm-hmm. and to ask yourself when you're spending money on something, especially when it's a significant dollar amount, you know, like if you're going on a trip or you're, you know, spending $5,000 on this class, ask yourself that question of, is it reasonable that I would have this as a real estate investor? Yeah, no, that's a great question to ask. I think it uh, you know, brings a reflective process out of you. And, and it's important that you do treat yourself like a business. Um, so those are some good tips. And, and you mentioned uh, you know, a business trip. So are there any proactive planning tips for taking a business trip? Yeah, that's a great question, especially for you know, summertime. Um, <laughs> From a from a from a trip perspective, one of the main things the IRS looks at is um, what is your intention with respect to a trip. And when we talk about deductions, you know, whether it's regular expenses or business trips, you always want to look at it from an from an audit protection perspective, right? Which means, you know, if I were audited, what would the IRS want to see? Okay. So. If it's a situation where you're going to a friend's wedding in Florida, while you're there, you happen to look at some real estate, maybe the time driving from the hotel to the property viewings would be tax deductible, okay? But the flight 
to Florida or the hotel in Florida would not be deductible because what you're doing is you're going there for a wedding and you happened to be doing some real estate, mm -hmm. okay? On the other hand, if it's a situation where before you left for Florida, you are uh, already, you've already scheduled to attend some local RIA meetings, you have uh, a few um, appointments with local realtors or maybe potential investors already scheduled, um, then it is a lot more likely that you can deduct part or all of your flight and hotel costs. And the difference was that, you know, in the first scenario, we were going to a wedding, we happened to do real estate. In the second scenario, it's that we were going to do all the real estate stuff, maybe we happened to attend a friend's wedding. Wow, right? So yeah. the key, yeah, so the key really is, um, the term I look at is predetermined business activities. Mm. And predetermined is a key word because it means that we have to schedule these things or we have to have documentation that these were scheduled before we leave for the trip because that's how you can support in an IRS audit that mm -hmm. the reason I went to Florida was because of ABC things that I did for my real estate. Yeah, so it's important that you have documentation. So that's, that's a very good note. Um, in, in terms of the home office, so roughly 26 million Americans have home offices and almost 87% of those people, you know, may be missing out on deductions. Uh, so what are the common mm -hmm. ones? You know, I think for, for real estate uh, investors, and I think you're right, the, the, I mean, the home office, especially for real estate investors, you know, I mean, now a lot of people work remotely, but I, I don't really know a lot of real estate investors, especially landlords, you know, mm -hmm. who go out and rent an office to manage their real <laughs> estate portfolio, yeah. right? Most of that is, that could be done from their home office. One of the perks of, of having, um, you know, rental income and mm -hmm. the, the mailbox check stuff. So um, I think the most common, issue I see is not so much like a missed deduction on, you know, missing out on one thing or another. It's more of just people are still afraid to take the home office. Um, because, you know, maybe 20 years ago, the IRS came out with announcement that, hey, we were going to audit the home office. Um, but, you know, that was back then before telecommuting and, you know, remote work environment was so easily accessible. Um, so I think a lot of maybe tax advisors or CPAs are still holding on to that old threat. And then somehow that's passed down to the clients and the taxpayers. And then the taxpayers are still afraid of that, you know, that old audit flag. Mm. Um, but I think the reality is that, you know, uh, you probably already know this, but the IRS has made it easier for us to take home office deductions. In fact, several years ago, they came out with a standard method where you can deduct, you know, based on the square footage and no receipts or anything needed. So I think it's it's more of, you know, some people are still holding on to that, that old um, scare tactic from the IRS instead of just you know, updating their thought process along with the IRS to say, yeah. okay, this is not really something we're going <laughs> to focus on anymore. Yep, yeah. No, growing with the times. Yeah, no, I've heard that a few times. Like, don't take the deduction. You might get audited. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I love... You know, like you said, knowledge is power. And, you know, the more books you read and you, you pick up these little common tips and and you, yeah. you learn as you go, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I actually talked to someone recently and they said, I said, how come you don't take the home office? And he said, you know, my CPA told me it's sort of like an insurance policy. So if I do get audited, then I can say, well, hey, look, I was really good and I didn't take the home office. So do I get some brown? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that works that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I doubt the government's going to let you slide on that one. <laughs> Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, moving on to part two. So entities, yeah, you had a couple great chapters in here. Um, and before we get to the legal entity lies exposed, which I love, by the way. Um, so what are some common do's and don'ts with uh, LLCs, partnerships and corporations that you see? Yeah, I would say so two main things. Uh, first, do not form or dissolve any kind of entities without talking to your advisors. Uh, and generally, that means your CPA and your attorney. Okay, Because mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is, you know, people read a book or um, <laughs> attend a seminar and then they went, you know, go out and, and form a bunch of entities or dissolve a bunch of entities. Mm -hmm. So try to not do that. You want to do it under the guidance of a professional um, because, you know, sometimes, I mean, forming entity, it could be costly. Dissolving it could be costly. Uh, any kind of mistake could be very costly. So it's definitely worth your time 
um, and you know whatever the fee might be to talk to your advisor before you go out and actually form or uh, undo entities. Uh, the other common common mistake I see is is not using the legal entities correctly. And I probably you know in terms of new clients that I talk to, I probably come across this issue at least once a month where someone formed an entity a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, and they're not using it correctly. So this is so fresh in my mind because I talked to someone yesterday <laughs> who, who, you know, had an entity and it was, it was just terrible um, setup. So if you're forming an entity, uh, just make sure you're using it correctly. You know, if you're, if you're supposed to pay from the entity, if you're having income earned inside of the entity, being, you know, having title held in the entity, just some of the basics of actually using it. Because a lot of people will form an entity, you have this really beautiful entity binder that's, you know, leather bound and gold letters, and then, and then they put that binder on the shelf. Mm. And that's not really doing anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from protection or tax savings perspective. So I think those are the two most common things I would say to watch out for. Great. Now, uh, legal entity lies exposed. So a great chapter. So uh, what lies do you hear most often? Most often, and I don't, gosh, I hate, um, I hate using the word lie because <laughs> it's all intentional or not, but um, I do have clients who, you know, maybe go to a seminar and are told or at least led to believe that they need to form an entity immediately. And once they do that, they will get all of these tax deductions um, magically up here. And uh, I, I think that's one of the biggest lie or, or you know, miscommunications out there. Mm -hmm. Because from a tax perspective, the IRS actually does not care whether you have an LLC, a partnership, or a corporation for deduction purposes. Mm -hmm. What they look for is whether or not you have business activities. So, you know, an example might be if, you know, Scott, you're not doing anything at all. You're just sitting there, you want to do real estate, but you're, you know, you haven't really done anything at all. Uh, and then someone said, hey, go ahead and form an LLC. You could start deducting everything under the sun. Well, that would not be accurate because you're still not doing anything in real estate. So the LLC is the LLC, but we still can't prove that we're actually in the real estate business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, versus another example, if, you know, Scott, you own a bunch of rental properties, they're all in your personal name. Well, again, if you go to Costco and buy some paper and supplies or you hire an attorney or a CPA, these are all tax deductible, even though you don't have any legal entities and you're just operating in your personal name. So the IRS looks more at, you know, are you in business of earning income more so than do you have an LLC or do you have a corporation? Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that really um, that really gets to me, you know, when I have a client who says, oh, yeah, I spent three thousand dollars forming all these entities. And and I'm really excited because I'm going to pay no taxes this year oh, <laughs> and then to say, well, let's take a step back and make sure you're doing real estate first. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> before you before you spend all that money, make sure we're actually doing real estate. Um, so I think that's probably one of the my biggest pet peeves about entity lies. Mm -hmm. I love it. Add it to the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, how do we wake up from our bookkeeping nightmare? And how many investors have you met that said they enjoy bookkeeping? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, so in our firm currently, we probably have about 500 clients, give or take. Mm -hmm. I have one client who enjoys bookkeeping. <laughs> and I love She's so good at it. She loves it. I told her, you know, if she wants to kind of learn more. I would refer her to other clients who need yes. bookkeeping and hate doing it. Um, so, yeah, very, very small percentage of people who actually love doing bookkeeping. Um, most people, it's kind of, you know, an a necessary evil, I guess, as you know, as a business invest, uh, a business owner, slash real estate investor, we do need to be able to somehow keep track of all of the expenses we were talking about earlier, because if you're not tracking it, um, then it would get lost. Mm. So, you know, if it's, if bookkeeping is, is really something that you dread, or is very difficult for you, I would say, you know, with anything else, just set up a system that works for you. It doesn't mean that as a landlord, you have to become a bookkeeper. You have to know how to work in QuickBooks or Excel or something like that. But you do want to have a system so that you are able to track all of the money you're making and spending. And it could be as simple as a folder, right? A folder, here's, I'm putting all of my receipts in here. And then having someone, whether it's, you know, like your child or, 
um, you know, hiring a, an administrative uh, person to then help you itemize or list out those things. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I have clients who still want to handwrite stuff, which is fine. Um, they can, you can, you can handwrite whatever you spent the money on for each property. Um, and then someone can summarize it for you at the end of the year. But the key is having a system in place so that you're tracking all the expenses that you're incurring mm-hmm. um, because you're the one incurring it. Right? There's no, there's not like a second person who, who, you know, who, who's doing all this for you unless you're fortunate enough to have a, a full-time bookkeeper on staff, which most of our clients don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as you have the system in place, it does make your life a lot easier. And the other thing I would say is do your bookkeeping often. If you're doing it once a year, odds are those days you're spending on bookkeeping is going to be miserable because you're probably not going to remember what you spend money on, what that receipt is for. Um, but if you have a good system where you're kind of trying to you know, organize it once a month or once every other month, then it generally is a lot easier because the transactions are still fresh in your mind and you know, oh yeah, I went to Home Depot for Main Street property and here's what I did mm-hmm. instead of coming back 12 later to take a look at what that was yeah oh, come on that day's fun in late january going 24 hours looking at receipts <laughs> oh my goodness yeah yeah been there exactly. <laughs> um, i know i was gonna say it sounds like you come from experience yeah. <laughs> um so any any good uh software I, I know you mentioned quickbooks and i think that's part of the reason that that helped me a little bit moving from like an excel file sheet but is that something that you recommend clients yeah. Um, that is a really good question. So I know a lot of CPAs recommend um, QuickBooks or mm-hmm. certain types of, of software. I don't particularly um, I don't particularly have a preference on whether someone uses QuickBooks or Excel or you know handwritten ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to use a software, if you're someone who's software savvy, that's perfectly fine. QuickBooks is one of the the better softwares out there that's still user friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say what you should use for your bookkeeping should be something that you're comfortable with. Because again, mm-hmm. the, the goal is for you to be using it consistently. So if you're someone who um, does not like software, does not like technology, what I don't want to happen is you go out and buy QuickBooks and you again, put it on the shelf, probably next to your LLC binder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, then, and then continue to just, you know, ignore everything on a day-to-day basis, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I would just say it's kind of a personal choice. If, if you're really great at Excel or Excel's easy enough or even Google Docs, if that's easy enough for you, you know, then that's fine. Go ahead and use that. Maybe you have one sheet for each property, right? And you just enter your stuff in as you get, you know, as you get the receipts come in. Um, and, you know, or, or if, again, someone who's more into handwritten ledgers, yeah. uh, we have a few clients yeah as long you know if you have a notebook that you just write in that's fine too it's whatever method works for you within your system because the key is that we want it to be something that you're using throughout the year that's smart and then what do you look for in terms of the investor obviously something that's you know legible that you can read um but you know obviously do you look for like organization and you want to you know do you tell your investors you know a sample criteria sheet that make sure we have these item numbers yeah, great question. So um, for our for our tax return clients, um, what generally we do is we'll send them a, a template profit and loss, okay. which is sort of similar to what you might find out in QuickBooks. You know, it has um, the the listing of categories at a higher level that we would want to see. So you know, rental income, repairs, improvements, uh, you know, mortgage interest and insurance and all that stuff. Um, and that's just kind of a reference guide, like, hey, here's the level of detail we need. Mm-hmm. Now you can go further than that. I have clients who, instead of just repairs, they want to broken out by all the kitchen repairs and all the bathroom repairs, and or they do it by cabinets versus flooring, which is all great. Um, but yeah, we do give our clients a template so they know, okay, here's the here's kind of the level we need. Um, you can go into more detail if you want to, but you're not required to, mm-hmm. um, based on what you need for reporting on the tax return. Oh, that's good. Great to know. Um, uh, you know, something that's, you know, fond of everybody. So part three, retirement planning. Um, I love this quote you started with. It said, why diversification is only required when investors do not understand what they're doing by Warren Buffett. So I think it goes back to your business model of, you know, becoming an expert in, in one area as opposed to, you know, being scatterbrained. So I loved it. It was a good yeah, kickstart. Yeah. It's really interesting um, and not not necessarily related to the retirement part specifically, but um, 
people talk about diversification in stocks, and that's great. Um, it's a little bit different, I think, for real estate. I was talking to a client the other day uh, who has, you know, investments in, in a bunch of different states, Florida, Michigan, Texas, Tennessee, Arizona, and he was looking to diversify into more states. And I told him, you know, that's all great, but whenever you go to a new state, a new market, you have to do your due diligence, you know, learn the people, I mean, build a team on the ground, and then also we have to follow tax return, right? So mm-hmm. now instead of just having you know, two tax returns, federal and state, now you have federal and six states. So that's another side of wide diversification when it comes to real estate investing. (laughs) Simplify. (laughs) Love it. Um, (laughs) You know, you gave the example of, you know, with a gentleman named Roger, you know, someone who left the corporate world for a full-time real estate investor and agent. And it took a few years, but eventually he replaced his corporate income. And uh, one year he netted uh, about 90,000 in profits, but the bad news was almost 30,000 in income taxes to the IRS and state. So what type of, you know, retirement account planning did you recommend to Roger? Um, Yes. And, you know, the four... Someone who has a significant amount of net profit in any given year, retirement planning is always one of the tools that we look at. Mm-hmm. And of course, we look at maximizing deductions and all of that. Um, but retirement planning is one of those ones that you get a big bang for your buck if you're utilizing it correctly. So in this example, what we, one of the things we recommended was a solo 401k. Um, also, some custodians call it individual 401k or individual K. Uh, these are all just, you know, branding names, essentially. Mm. Essentially, what it means is a 401k for a small business. And small businesses generally means that, you know, the owner slash employee are, you know, one of the same people. Uh, what we really like about that is it allows you to put the maximum amount into retirement. I think for this year, it's just a- around 55000 um, that you could put into a retirement account get a tax deduction for it, and then that money that's in the retirement account grows tax deferred until retirement. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that we always look at if someone has you know, had a good year and is trying to lower taxable income. Now, one of the issues in the past um, that I hear people say is, you know, Amanda, I love to, you know, put 50000 in retirement, save $25,000 in taxes. That, that all sounds really, really great. But I want to use my money for real estate Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so there's sometimes a disconnect of okay if i funded and i don't have money for real estate um so one of the best things about the retirement world is that you know now there everyone is getting more and more information about self-directed investing which really just means that you can use your retirement money for real estate as well and you're not limited to just the stocks bonds and mutual funds Mm -hmm. so it's kind of the best of both worlds get the deduction and be able to use it for real estate yeah and i love the side-by-side comparison of i believe it was the um you know roth ira or you know but the the deduction i mean it wasn't even a deduction because you know you're taxed before you're put in and i think the limit was around six thousand dollars um, mm-hmm. And it just it seemed like the solo informant had a lot more flexibility. And, you know, just like you said that oh, if we lock it up, then we can't use it. But if you can, you know, self-direct, I think it, you can, you know, be pretty savvy around that. So, yeah. And for the 401k or the solo K, um, one of the one of the really great perks about that it has over like an IRA, for example, is that you can actually use leverage within mm-hmm. that account and not have any you know, hidden tax issues. So what I mean by that is, you know, if we, let's say this year, you know, you had a really good year, Scott, and we said, okay, you should put 50,000 in the, in the solo 401k. With the 50,000, the 401k could go out and get a loan from private lenders or banks and buy a property worth, you know, 150,000, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. And now you have this property worth 150,000, all of the cash flow and appreciation is growing tax deferred in your retirement account. Um, which is really powerful because we don't, you know, we don't necessarily get to see that when we invest in mutual funds, right, or mm-hmm. stocks. I mean, if you have fifty thousand, you're buying fifty thousand dollars worth of stocks. You're not buying one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth <laughs> of stocks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a really powerful um, strategy, cause especially as I know, you know, real estate investors are all about leverage, right? Leverage, accelerate returns and all that. So it's a really great way to do that within a retirement account as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm sure you get bombarded with questions all the time, but this is one of my favorite answers in the entire book. And, you know, in terms of the tax code, and it says you must mm-hmm. know how to apply the code to your 
particular situation. So, you know, I'm sure with all those millions of questions throughout the year. So what's your best response to those questions besides, you know, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um yeah, I know. It's so tough because people hate that answer. And yeah. I actually hate it. You know, when I talk to attorneys, they always tell me, well, it just depends on this, 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 <laughs> this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that really, I mean, but, but you know, that really is the accurate answer Definitely. because, you know, what might work for you, Scott, might not work for um, the next, you know, the investor next door to you. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that the key is really making sure that you're working with your tax advisor Mm -hmm. um, and that your advisor understands uh, your overall financial picture. So meaning it's, you know, so so it's not just someone you go to in April to get your taxes done. Um, When you get your tax returns done, that's really just kind of after the fact reporting. You're just, you know, reporting what happened last year, but really to be proactive, you know, before you buy a property, before you um, refinance or pull any cash out or move properties to an LLC, those are the times when you can get some more proactive advice mm-hmm. from an advisor to say, okay, here here are your options. And the answer still might be it depends, but mm-hmm. at least it depends on what your decision is. So we might say, okay, Scott, you know, you sold this, you're going to sell this property. You're going to pay some taxes. Here are the taxes you might pay. You can either do this or that, mm-hmm. uh, or option number three. And which one will it be? Well, it depends, right? It depends yeah. on what's what's most important to you. Is it to get the cash? Is it to pay off debt? Is it to reinvest? And from there, you can get you know a more educated decision that you would make ultimately. Yeah, and it, and that sounds like you know the the answer from an expert. I mean, and, and that's my next question leading up to is you know how do we know if we're working with the right tax advisor? Ah, uh, good question. Um, well. First off, I would say if you are investing in real estate or if your goal is to you know, have real estate be part of your wealth building portfolio, it's really important to make sure you're working with someone who understands real estate. Mm-hmm. So you don't you don't want to be the one explaining real estate to them, per se. You don't you definitely don't want to be the one to convince them that you want to invest in real estate. And I I see this a lot, you know, people say, Oh, I told my CPA I want to do real estate. And they told me, well, you know, here are all the issues with real estate, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a that that's first and foremost, I think someone who understands your business, um, you know, whether that's real estate or manufacturing or whatever it is. Um, So that's the first criteria. The second part, I think, um, for me, the right advisor is someone who is on the on the proactive side of things. Uh, again, you know, it's great to have someone file your tax returns. There's not a whole lot of value in that because you're just reporting what's happened in the past. The value is in working with someone proactively throughout the year so that you know what are your options, what should you be doing before the year's over or before you head into a transaction. So, you know, if you're interviewing advisors, you know, that those are the things I would want to find out, like, mm-hmm. well, how, you know, um, if I have questions, do I have access to you? When should I be calling you? How are the, you know, how do I get charged if I'm calling you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are some things that yeah, you would want to know what I'm doing? Right. So these are these are things that you would ask to see if it's someone that's proactive in helping you plan or is it a CPA that is basically there January through April and then they close their doors during the summer <laughs> because they're going on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> then that might be problematic because you're in a transaction. It's like, well, my CPA is, you know, in Lake Tahoe and I can't reach him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that vacation is rightfully earned, though, after April. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. You just, I mean, you just want to make sure it's someone who is there year round, you know, like as you have, as you have needs that you can help them. I mean, for even for us, for our clients, um, we we don't require meetings every month or every week or every other month um, because sometimes you know it'll, if you're if you're not in the middle of a transaction and there's nothing new going on there's no reason to meet mm-hmm. right but on the other hand we always tell our clients you know if you have something going on um, send us an email uh, it could be two sentences or we can get on a three minute five minute phone call and say hey Amanda I'm doing this what do you think because those are the times when it's important for us to be involved you know when you have transactions then we can tell you oh here are the opportunities or oh no here are the pitfalls let's talk through these before you actually pull the trigger mm-hmm. 
Oh, it's awesome. I, I love those tips because, you know, everybody's going to need to, you know, find an expert that, you know, works for them and is going to be proactive in the process. Um, so it's, it's great. Now, part four, IRS pitfalls. Um, love the chapter on depreciation. I thought it was well written and explained in very simple terms. And to, like I was saying in the beginning, that to me is a sign of a great teacher. And, you know, there's so many complicated things. And once you can really understand it and put a grasp on it, which this chapter did, um, it helps so much. So how do we as investors take full advantage of depreciation? And what is the quick overview? Because I know it can go... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, depreciation is simply um, what I consider an IRS loophole, mm -hmm. where the IRS says, okay, if you buy property and let's say the building's worth a hundred thousand dollars, I'm gonna let you write off, um, write write off the value of the building slowly over time regardless of whether the building is appreciating or not in actuality, right? Mm -hmm. So so what happens is then, um, you know, if we buy a $100,000 property, we're writing off it, we're writing off part of that little by little every year. But in reality, hopefully, the investment itself is going up in value, and we can refinance or we can sell it down the road. Mm -hmm. So it's really a paper write off that we as real estate investors get um, by simply owning rental properties. Now, um, as investors, to take full advantage of depreciation, well, one thing is you need to own rental real estate. Mm -hmm. And by own, uh, I just mean, you know, you, you have to be holding title to the property, right? It mm -hmm. could be fully financed. It doesn't have to be all cash, but you do have to own it. Um, if we were, let's say if I was to get into Airbnb situation, I, you know, lease a an apartment and I sublease it out on Airbnb, there is no depreciation in that scenario because I don't actually own the real estate. So that's a key is making sure that it's, you know, we actually own the real estate mm -hmm. to be able to get the depreciation benefit. Um, outside of that, you know, really the depreciation benefit is something that should be done by your tax advisor. It is very complicated and how to kind of take advantage of it. There's so many loopholes and there's actually even more now under the tax reform on how to take advantage of like 100% bonus write-offs or, mm -hmm. you know, um, immediate write-offs under Section 179. So there's so many things that um, I think it's probably not super relevant for an investor to understand. Mm -hmm. But going back to, you know, making sure you work with the right advisor who deals in real estate and knows how to take advantage of those. I think the only action item I would say as a real estate investor for depreciation is to keep good records of what you're spending money on when you're doing improvements. So, you know, if you're doing the, the you know, the buy, rehab, rent strategy, um, instead of saying, telling your CPA, hey, I spent $100,000 in improvements, you want to itemize that 100000 So maybe it's made up of $3,000 of flooring, $6,000 of cabinets, 2000 in furniture and fixture. That level of detail will allow your CPA to help you maximize your depreciation write-off. So really, I think that's really my only recommended action item from the investor's perspective. Great. Now, um, how do we gift properties to our family and not the IRS? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Good question. Well, I mean, seeing that we pay the IRS every year in terms of taxes, right? Yeah, yeah. What you want to do is make sure that the real estate itself is, is not also gifted. Um, usually when we talk about gifting, um, it's planning for older investors, uh, you know, part of estate planning. How do you leave real estate or other assets to your kids. Um, and one of the things that we look at, and again, it really depends on every person's situation, but generally speaking, when you're someone who's younger, um, so, you know, meaning you have many, many years left before, before you, you know, expect to potentially die, mm -hmm. um, and or you have young kids. Those are the years we actually want to hold on to our properties and not gift them right away because we want to keep the tax benefits. Hmm. So depreciation being one of the examples, right? We said um, if we own real estate, we get tax write-offs. Well, if we start to gift the write-offs, I mean, if we give the properties to our kids, we're also gifting the associated write-offs, which is not what we want because maybe our kids are still in school or they just have, you know, low income that they're making at their job. So um, those are the times when we still want to keep the assets to ourselves. Now, when the kids are 
uh, older, when we're getting ready to retire, and plan to leave things to the next generation, those are the times when we want to start gifting properties um, to the next generation. Because maybe, you know, when we're retired, we'll have lower income taxes, and the kids are in their prime, you know, income earning years, where now they would want the write-offs. So those are some things we look at in terms of how and when do we gift properties to our family members, and not to the IRS. Um, when we talk about gifting to the IRS, it's really for those people who've had no planning at all whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, then the IRS is going to take a chunk of it and then the rest will go down to the kids. Yeah. So well said. So being proactive for those times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, before we wrap things up, I have a, a couple of random questions. Um, so uh, just one out of curiosity. So how crazy was the new tax law and, and did it throw you through a loop this year? Did you? You know, you're pulling your hair out around that time. Uh, well, <laughs> good question because I like I, said, I just finished the the training that I did on uh, that I took a class on tax reform. Yeah. It's definitely crazy. Um, a lot more changes than what we anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, though, from a real estate investor's perspective, and by real estate I mean rent, you know, landlords, flippers, wholesalers. Um, most, if not all, of the changes have been good. Mm-hmm. So the expectation is that for investors and business owners, um, the overall tax liability should be reduced uh, when we compare that to, you know, if there was no tax reform. So that's the good news is mm-hmm. that I think ultimately all the changes that we're seeing are actually going to be good for the taxpayer. Um, but yes, the downside is it's, it, it, it's uh, definitely going to be a lot more complex. I know, you know, we heard about simplifying the tax code. Mm-hmm. That's definitely not the case. If anything, it's gotten, you know, 10 times more complex yeah. with the different credits and the flow throughs and how you're going to calculate. And I think what a lot of people don't know is even as of today, um, there are still a lot of unknowns um, that are part of the tax reform. So there's a, still a lot of clarity that we're waiting for the IRS to give us guidance on. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear about, okay, here's, you know, part of that income for flippers, for example. Um, You know, maybe the first 20% of your income would be at zero tax. Uh, But there's still a lot of questions. Well, you know, what's your definition of income, right? Is it after retirement contributions? Is it, what is it, you know, is it after you pay yourself? I mean, what are all the details of that? So those are really kind of the nitty gritty of what we're waiting for. and we were supposed to know by August. So, you know, August is coming up real soon. So mm-hmm. hopefully the IRS will meet their own internal deadline. But um, those are the things that we're looking for. I think, you know, when we talked about proactive planning, um, something to be done, definitely very important this year for people who, again, are flipping, landlords. Um, before the end of the year, it's important to make sure you meet with your tax advisor to figure out what are some moves that you can do to make sure you take full advantage of the tax reform um, because it could mean, you know, tens, twenties, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in differences, mm-hmm. um, you know, depending on what kind of entity you're using or how you're paying yourself. Um, you know, from your real estate transactions. So uh, exciting times. Um, <laughs> but yes, also pulling hair out. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's going to be, you know, you as a property owner as well, I think you're going to, uh, it sounds like you're a little bit happy about it. But like you said, you know, little speed bumps. And once you get a better grasp of it, you know, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So one more life question. So how, you know, how does it juggling, you know, the family around, you know, both of you are, you know, in the same business. And I, I know, you know, that, that time around April is just absolutely crazy. So um, do you find that you, you know, you juggle it well? And do you, uh, how do you balance that life business aspect is, is the question I'm asking. Yeah, I know it's tough. Um, I guess it can be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially in our business, we're so deadline sensitive. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that we've done that's helped out a lot is it, uh, kind of going back to proactive planning, mm-hmm. because as a firm, we specialize so much in proactive tax planning that for the vast majority of our clients, um, 
April is not a surprise to us. You know, okay. it's not like, oh, this is the first time I found out you did a 1031 exchange and, you know, you sold one property and bought 20. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we, it's something we would have already known, you know, in the prior year when it was happening. And so, so yes, even though April is still a, a big deadline date for us, um, we're able to actually do a lot of the work up front. So, you know, right now if I have clients doing 1031 exchanges, I'm already getting the closing documents. I'm already getting the package. We're already doing all the numbers um, so that by April, that piece of it is done. Maybe we're just entering like a W-2 or, you know, the management reports and things like that. So it's, you know, I think we're fortunate enough in that it just happens to be the way we've built our business that um, by being proactive, it doesn't only just help the client, it helps us too. So we don't have any surprises and we can accelerate stuff where, you know, maybe for some other CPAs that are just really slow, you know, during the summer months, um, like right now, we're actually fairly busy. You know, yeah. everybody here, <laughs> I mean, we don't have anyone working overtime now, but, um, but we're still, you know, consistently busy because we are already planning for next tax season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it definitely helps. But outside of that, I think it's, you know, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the the growing pains, you know, of being a business owner and just understanding that those are the months that, you know, you're not going to go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Maybe order take out more and, yeah. and then, you know, and then we'll just get better after that. I love it. It's it's so simple yet so profound being proactive. So I think that if, if I walk away with, you know, one tip that sounds like because I mean, if you know, you said it's uh, the proof is in the recipe and it sounds like you've managed what is typically crazy or what people tell you and you found a way that works so so great for you you know it's awesome Uh, (laughs) thank you well thank you so much amanda for being on the show today i really appreciate it uh if you want to tell listeners where they can you know find out more about you and where they can purchase the book Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, our company website is keystonecpa.com. That's www.keystonecpa.com. And um, we have a lot of free resources, uh, downloadable ebooks and things like that on our website. So I definitely encourage people to check those out if you haven't visited before. Um, and yes, we're, uh, you know, if you have not read our book, Tax Savvy or Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor, um, it could be purchased on Amazon as well as biggerpockets.com great and i highly recommend it amazing book like you said you read so many dry books and you didn't want it to be that way and i think this is <laughs> i think this is a great book for investors to to really understand and you can have that more proactive conversation with your cpa so i think that will go you know a long a distance in a real estate career thank you so much for having me thank you man you have a great day and we'll talk soon And that concludes our book club interview with author Amanda Hahn, who wrote the book on tax strategies for the savvy real estate investor. This book contains so many powerful techniques that anybody can use to deduct more, invest smarter, and pay less to the IRS, which is surely what we all want to accomplish. Uh, There's so many great topics in this book. You'll learn creative ways to maximize your tax deductions, clever ways to write off your kids, strategies to write off every penny of your travel, easy tips and tricks to cut down bookkeeping time, and simple ways to protect yourself from an IRS audit. I highly recommend it. I think Amanda did a wonderful job with her husband of writing it to someone um, who doesn't like to read those dry books. So she did a wonderful job, you know, translating all that information um, that's useful that we need to know so we can communicate with our CPA and and tax strategist to, to choose our best path as real estate investors. Highly recommend you get a copy. Uh, Definitely a great book by a great author and someone who's very knowledgeable in in the industry as well as an investor, which I love. So check her out. Make sure you like our Facebook page so you can stay up to date to the authors that we're interviewing and the content we're putting out. That's it for today. My name is Scott Hollister, your host, and we'll see you next time.